So this is a, um, a series. Pam, there's two seats right over here. There's seats back over there. There's a seat right here. This is a, this is a series that was recommended to me um, probably two or three years ago. I've just been putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And finally I took a look at it and said, yeah, that would be great to share with you. It is a, a video series led by a man named John Bevere. Um, Bill Hancock came up to me and said, oh, do you know him, Eddie? And I said, no. He said, well, I play, I play golf with him. There's two seats right over here, Christy. Right over there. Um, I think Cleo would be a wonderful person to sit next to. Um, so he is, he, is a, he is someone who lives here in this city. And uh, maybe we'll, if we like the video series enough, we can invite him to come. He has a book that's been written that accompanies this series. It's called The Bait of Satan, same as the video series. I'm going to tell you that the book's better than the DVDs, okay? And it could be because I think there's like 14 chapters in here, and he tries to squeeze into 14 chapters. Six, he, he takes six lessons and squeezes them in. So he kind of rushes. You probably won't notice if you had read the book. If you read the book, you go, oh, he left out a lot. There's a lot of details this book has sold millions and millions and millions. Uh, it's been going on for more than 20 years. Great book to read. I would highly encourage that. And so um, Francine is our star student. She has bought, brought her copy with her tonight. So, uh, me. Oh, Bill needs credit, too. He has. And Mary. Oh, oh look. look. I need, I'll bring stars next week. Okay, so... So we have the winner. We have the winner on the front row. I don't want to spend a lot of time introducing this because I think it's, it, it gives its own self-introduction. So what we're going to do is we're going to watch the video. It should go on for about 22 minutes, and then after that, I'm going to ask some questions. And so the questions I'm going to ask are written on the board, so you can kind of be thinking about them. Tonight is is primarily just an introduction. So we just want to say, okay, what is it we're doing? Where are we headed? And why is this even relevant and important for us? And so I want you to really be thinking about, uh, there's probably another way of saying it, but what is the thesis statement in the sense of what is the main thing this is all about, okay? Because I don't want you to go, well, what is that about? I want us to be able to consolidate that in one sentence. The main premise of, of what we see in this series, he's going to state that. I want you to really get a hold of this. I want you to kind of, Let's help answer that tonight. Then after that, um, I'm okay with you. If, if there's something that's, wow, that stood out to me. That was really significant. That's something new that I've never thought of. I want you to be thinking about that one. And then um, it's going to be no surprise to you when he talks about the bait of Satan. That's the, th the title. It, the bait of Satan is what he calls offense. So what do we mean by that? So let's make sure we're on the same page as you be listening, and I'm going to ask the question afterwards. I'm just going to walk through these, all right? What is offense? And then fourthly, how is offense the bait of Satan? How exactly does, is Satan working with that? So be listening for that. And then after we kind of talk about the what, and the question is, well, why? Why, why do you all need to be here tonight? And for the, the next six weeks, it's going to be kind of scattered out. We're going to have a Thanksgiving break. We're going to have a Christmas break. We're going to do six of these, and it's going to even carry over the new year because of our breaks. Um, why is this so important for us at Eastside? The person that rec one of the people that recommended it to me, it's Eddie Eastside needs this. Somebody even said to me, 
who doesn't go to church here anymore. They live somewhere else. And I was talking to them and said, oh, yeah, I'm going to be doing that. And they go, oh, boy, does Eastside mean that. All right. Um, and um, I've heard it from others as well. So why? Why do we need this? All right. But then it's kind of easier to talk about Eastside. The next question is going to be, why do you need this? All right. How is this relevant for you with your family, for you with your work? group or whoever it may be so it's kind of easy to talk about the group of east side especially looking but what about for you what about for us in a personal way and then i think i'm probably going to skip why is offense so hard to overcome why is offense so important to overcome and i want to jump straight into i really want to get he doesn't do as much work here in luke 17 i love this right here i love this has got some incredible wisdom from jesus he, he does a masterful job teaching as well so that's where we're going all right yeah he's good uh, and so even better than john so okay so don't be surprised by my questions and i don't think we need to turn off the lights because because i tend to fall asleep especially if i broke the lights go off Okay, so that was, oh, that was the wrong, that, that one right there. Okay, so let's go here. Oh, that's the way it always works, right? Oh, here we go. I never dreamed so many people's lives that would be totally liberated from the trap of being offended as a result of this book, this message, this course. And so I just want to encourage you as you walk through this course, open up your heart and let the Holy Spirit minister to you. Often when we are very upset with others who have hurt us. We think we imprison them, but really we are the ones that become imprisoned. The wisdom of God in this book is truly from the Holy Spirit, and I believe it will change your life forever. So I want you to have an open heart, I want you to receive, and I want you to be liberated and free so that you can fulfill what God's created you to do, and not be held in a trap called being offended. Session one of the Bait of Satan, and uh, I'm so excited about this. You know, it's an over 20-year-old message. It has we've literally seen millions of people ministered to by it, thousands, hundreds of thousands, probably liberated from offense. And for those of you that have never heard this message, um, this will probably be one of the greatest confrontations with truth that you're ever going to experience. Um, offense, the bait of Satan, is probably one of the most difficult obstacles to overcome, but it can be overcome by the grace of God and through the love of God. And so that's what we're going to dive into in these next six sessions. Your life is going to be transformed. There has been so much prayer, so much believing that we are telling you right now, get ready for the Holy Spirit to do a great work in your life. Now, uh, the disciples of Jesus, I think this is the best way to really open it up. The disciples of Jesus saw probably the most amazing, well, not probably, they saw the most amazing miracles that any generation has ever seen. I mean, can you imagine them personally witnessing people being raised from the dead, totally blind eyes being open, people not ever walking in their life and suddenly jumping up and walking. I mean, storms that are life-threatening, that would e that which would even scare professional fishermen. He wa they watched him calm them in a moment. I mean, these are amazing miracles, but yet it wasn't these miracles that pushed them to the brink of doubt. It was actually what would happen at the latter part of Jesus' three-and-a-half-year ministry, 
when he looked at his disciples and made this statement, if your brother sins against you seven times in a day, in a day, did you see that? And seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Watch the disciples' response when he says that. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. It is amazing to me it wasn't the miracles of people being raised from the dead. It was the simple fact that Jesus said, forgive your brother when he sins against you multiple times that brought them to the brink of saying, God, you've got to increase our faith. So let's talk about our day today. Could today even be more important, these words of Jesus, be more important today than even in the days of the apostles? Well, I'm going to tell you right now in advance, they are more applicable to today than even the days of the apostles. So I want to talk about today. Today is the time period when Jesus said it would be just before he returns. How many of you believe we're living in that day, right before the second coming of Christ? I mean, Jesus said we would recognize the season, but we wouldn't know the day or the hour, correct? So... Jesus told his disciples many, many things that would happen right before he returned. And I want to zero in in Matthew chapter 24, around the 10th verse. Jesus says here, he says, and then many. Now, the Greek word there for many is the Greek word polis, all right? It means many, much of number, quantity, or amount. Some of the dictionaries that I examine say it means mostly or majority. So Jesus immediately, we know he's talking about at least 51% of the people. Now, I have traveled all over the world, and I've preached on this. And can I tell you, I have never once seen in any conference or church less than 50% of the people respond to being offended at the end of a message. And many of them didn't realize they were offended until the Word of God exposed it. And then many will be offended. Everybody say offended. Offended. Will betray one another and will hate one another. Now, this is a progression. An offended person will eventually betray. And if a betrayal is not dealt with, it can ultimately lead to hatred. You say, John, where do you get that? Well, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19 says, A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. Now, in the days of Solomon, who wrote the book of Proverbs, what did strong cities have around them? Walls. What were walls built for? Protection. They would keep out those people that you believed were against you, and they would permit people in that you believed were for you. This is exactly what happens to a man or a woman when they become offended. They begin to build walls. Now, the New Testament doesn't call them walls. The New Testament calls them strongholds. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3, 4, and 5 says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare... Now, everybody, please understand this. We are not in a playground. We are in a battleground. And it is good that we view life that way. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Everybody say strongholds. What are those strongholds? He goes on to say, casting down arguments, and a better rendition would be imaginations or reasonings, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. These strongholds, what they are, are they are set patterns of reasoning through which we process information. Now, we are basically are told by the Word of God to love one another. 
And the love of God always focuses on giving, giving, giving. A person who has been offended starts building reasoning processes deep within their soul. The process is all the information comes in. And so now what happens is they start developing these reasoning processes to protect, to protect, to protect. Now the focus is no longer to give. It's now I got to protect myself. And this happens deep in the soul. Okay. And so what happens is this makes us a perfect candidate for betrayal. Now, many Christians really don't understand betrayal. And I should say many people because they think of extreme cases. They think of Benedict Arnold or they think of Judas Iscariot. However, a betrayal is simply this. A betrayal is when I seek my benefit or my protection at the expense of one I have a relationship with. Now, when your focus is to protect, to protect, to protect, that makes you a candidate for betrayal. Now, I'm going to protect myself at the expense of even one I've got a covenant relationship with. A betrayal is the ultimate abandonment of a relationship. Let me, let me, let me tell you what happens in a betrayal. In a betrayal, the love of God in our heart begins to grow cold. Because why? Because we're not giving. If you look, there are two seas in Israel. There's two major seas. There's the Sea of Galilee and there's the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee receives waters freely from the north. It originated up in the mountains near Caesarea Philippi. And it freely gives out in the south. It comes down the Jordan River to the south into the Dead Sea. So the Sea of Galilee freely receives and it freely gives. The Sea of Galilee is loaded with life. But the same living waters go down the Jordan River and enter into the northern part of the Dead Sea, but the Dead Sea only takes in. It doesn't give out. The Dead Sea, nothing can live in it. Absolutely nothing can live. So an offended Christian, here, here's the love of God coming in, but now the walls are built. I'm protecting. The love begins to dry cold, so now the focus becomes self, makes you a perfect candidate of betrayal, and a betrayal, as I said, is the ultimate abandonment of a relationship. And if it's not dealt with, a betrayal can even lead to hatred. Now, a lot of Christians don't understand hatred. They, they attach extreme emotional anger or frustration with hatred. You can have hatred and not have any emotions attached to it. If you look at Absalom, he hated his brother Ammon. And the Bible says he neither spoke good nor evil to him. If you look at what John the Apostle writes, he says whoever hates his brother, so he's writing to Christians, is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, if you look at the word hate here, it is the Greek word mesio. And the literal definition of that is to love less. Now, I'm going to tell you what it really means. It's a vacuum, void of love. So in other words, when a person hates, doesn't necessarily mean they're really angry. Somebody can be angry and really still love and care about somebody. It means they have no love at all left in their heart for that person. A betrayal can lead to hatred. And as John says, you hate your brother, you're a murderer, and don't even think you've got eternal life abiding in you. And then Jesus goes on to say in the very next verse, then, what's he mean by then? After there's massive offense betrayals from the offense, and even hatred resulting from the betrayals, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Now, who are the many they're going to deceive? 
the many that are offended, which tells me something that an offended heart is the breeding ground of deception. Now, what does Jesus call false prophets in Matthew chapter, chapter 7, verse 15? He calls them wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, notice he doesn't say they are wolves in shepherd's clothing. Correct? All right? Everybody's always looking for the false prophet behind the pulpit. I got news for you. In 30 years of ministry and traveling all over the world, being in many, many churches, I have discovered there are more false prophets in the pews than there are in the pulpits. Good preaching, John. Amen. Now, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, I personally love watching programs about animals, okay? Discovery Channel, it's the bomb, okay? My family actually got me for my birthday, Planet Earth, because I love animals, right? So I discovered something about these, these, um, these predators, okay? Like wolves and hyenas, and they, they travel in packs. And you know what the goal of the wolf pack is? To isolate the sheep from the herd. And you know what sheep they usually try to isolate? Is the wounded sheep. The offended sheep. Okay? Because if they can isolate the sheep from the herd, the sheep is meat for their table. Proverbs 18 verse 1 says this, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire and rages against all wise judgment. Now, the scary thing is you can be a part of a big church, you can be a part of a big family, but the isolation occurs in the soul. The thought processes, the reasonings that have been set up, the set patterns of reasoning. That isolation occurs. When that does, you can still be a member of a big family, big church. Now you're what? You're the target of these wolves. Are you with me? Then Jesus goes on to say, and because lawlessness will abound. Now, what is the word lawlessness? The word lawlessness is the Greek word anomia, which simply means this, not being submitted to the authority of God. Just simply means not submitted to his word. All right? Lawlessness is going to abound. What's he talking about? The lawless thinking. You see, the thought processes that are contrary to the knowledge of God. You know, we set up these walls, these strongholds, once we're hurt, and we think that they're going to protect us, but they actually torment us. And they act because why? They are contrary to the knowledge of God, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. So, because lawlessness will abound, that's the lawless thinking and lawless actions both that result from the offense, the love of many will grow cold. Now, I think we would all agree in today's hour, that lawlessness abounds in our society. I mean, there is a lot of tensions in our society that I could speak to right now, right? There's lawlessness resulting from it. But you know what's amazing to me? Jesus isn't talking about society. Now remember, he's isolating the days right before he returns. He is actually talking about inside the church. Now you say, John, now wait a minute. How do you know that he's talking about inside the church? Well, if you look at the word love there is the Greek word agape. There are two major Greek words used for love. They're both translated love in the New Testament. Agape and phileo. Phileo is affectionate love. That is the love that even the world has. Agape is the love that lays down its life for its neighbor. It's the love that loves even if it's not returned. That is the love that Jesus said the world cannot receive. That is the love that the Bible says is shed abroad in Romans chapter 8. 
Romans chapter 5, it's shed abroad in our heart. So we know he's not talking about the world because of the word that he uses here. I'm going to tell you the second reason I know that he's not talking about the world. Because look what he says in the very next verse. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. You don't look at an unbeliever and say, if you endure, you're going to be saved. You look at somebody that has already started the race and say, if you endure, you're going to be saved. So Jesus is saying, in the last days, there's going to be massive offense. Okay? And this massive offense is going to lead to betrayals. I mean, if you look at the bloodiest wars in our history, it happens with people that are close. So massive offense is going to occur, and I'm going to show you it's mostly with people that are close to each other. It's going to lead to betrayals, which even leads to hatred. Deception is going to result from it. Because of the lawless thinking from the thoughts that are contrary to the knowledge of God, many, the love of many, that's the same Greek word police, is going to grow cold. Now, the way he uses this word is it's going to grow cold like the frog in the kettle in reverse. You know, you put the frog in the kettle and you turn on the heat, he's not going to jump out. You put him in boiling water, he's going to jump out if he can. This is the frog in the kettle scenario in reverse. It grows cold. I'm going to tell you something. I walked through this, and I didn't recognize the love of God in my heart growing cold. I saw the effects of it, and God was merciful and opened up my eyes. That's why I'm so passionate about this message. And so the person that can hurt you the deepest, as I just said, is the person that's closest to you. David said it like this. It is not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. It is not my foes who have so arrogantly insulted me. I could have hidden from them. We expect our enemy, the world, to hurt us. But David said this. Instead, it is you, my equal, my companion, and close friend. What good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together in the house of God. The closer the relationship, the greater the potential offense. Why is that? Because our expectations are high. <coughs> See, if I look at an, 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 you know, an average Christian, they expect the world to mistreat them. They're prepared for the world to mistreat them. Why? Because the world doesn't have the love of God in it. So, our expectations on the world, let's say this is ground zero, all right, this table. Their expectations is zero, okay? But now our expectations on our Christian, brother, Christian brothers and sisters are about here. And our expectation on our pastors are about here. And our expectation on our husband or wife is about there. Okay, so now if the world does that much for us, they've been that much of a blessing. Because our expectation was zero. But if a Christian brother only does that, they've offended us by this much. When our pastor does that much, he's offended me by this much. So while, no, no, what, what's happening here? The potential of the offense now goes up. When our spouse only does that, oh my goodness, massive offense. That's why over 50% of marriages end up in divorce court. Because our expectations. We didn't sign up to serve. 
we signed up to be served when we got married. But yet Jesus said, if you want to be a leader like me, remember the Bible says husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church. Jesus got down and became the base servant and washed his disciples' feet. And he said, I've left you an example. You call me Lord and King. I'm your leader. But I am here among you as one who serves. He took that place of the lowest servant in the house, the one who washed the people's feet when they came off the street where you had the horse manure, the horse pee, all that other stuff, because they didn't have cars back then. They didn't have night tennis shoes. Jesus said, I'm going to be the lowest servant in the house here, and I'm going to wash your feet. He was illustrating to us that he said, I'm the chief servant. So when you think about a husband, a husband signs up to be the chief servant of the family if he's the head of the home. It doesn't change the dynamic of authority, but it radically uh, changes the way it's administered. You see what I'm saying? All right. And so, so in Luke chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus says, it is impossible. Look at the word impossible. Now, if Jesus says impossible, do you think... Okay. It is impossible that no offenses should come. What's he saying? He's saying if you breathe air, you are going to have the opportunity to be offended. But what you do with the offense is going to determine your future. You're either going to become stronger or you're going to become bitter. Right? Now, the Greek word for offense there is the Greek word scandalon. Scandalon is an, actually an ancient Greek word that was originally used to describe the bait stick or trigger of a trap that hunters would use to catch small animals and birds in. The hunter would place the bait on the trigger, the scandalon, and the animal would take that bait and the trap would close and either capture or kill the animal. Thereby, an offense is the bait of Satan to pull you and I, the believer, into his captivity. That's heavy. I want to show you what the complete word study dictionary says about this word. Scandalon always denotes an enticement to conduct which could ruin the person in question. Remember the book of Hebrews says, looking carefully, right? Lest any root of bitterness springs up, causing defilement, ruining. Defile means ruining a person. Do you see how dangerous offense is? Scary thing is, most people that are offended don't even realize they're offended. <coughs> Paul confirms this trap when he writes to Timothy. Look what he says to him. He said, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, must not be in strife, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, offended with one another. Do you see this? If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may acknowledge the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare. The word snare means trap. Escape the trap of the devil, having been taken captive by the devil to do the devil's will. You know, the scary thing is you can still be a minister of the gospel. You can still serve on a ministry team. You can still be attending a home group every week, attending church every time the doors open, even witnessing to people. But you're trapped. You're captive of Satan. Now you think you're releasing rivers of living water when in reality you're releasing rivers tainted with bitterness. I firmly believe that the enemy is going to raise up an army against the church to fight against us in these next several years. I believe 
Because the greatest move of the Spirit of God on earth is, that has ever been witnessed is about to happen. And I believe that army is going to be raised up. And you know that army is not going to be propelled by merely the world. It's going to be propelled by Christians that have been taken captive and are now unknowingly entrapped and releasing bitterness instead of propelling the glorious gospel of Jesus in a unified way as a family should. The bait of Satan is a very serious issue. It's not something to take lightly. As I said, it's probably the greatest confrontation of truth that you're going to encounter as a Christian other than being saved. And so I'm so happy that you are part of this class as we journey together to become completely free from any kind of offense, to be completely free from the trap, from the bait that Satan lays for us. See you in session two. So let's talk about this for a while. We'll go through the questions, and then if we have time, we'll look deeper into Luke chapter 17. So some of you may be going, what was he saying? If you could, if you could summarize, what's our, what's our objective of the next six weeks? If you could summarize the main point, the objective, the, the thesis statement that he's getting at is what? How, we need to kind of identify that before we go on. What would you say? You walk up to somebody in the store, and what'd you learn tonight? You say, you know what I learned? I learned about the bait of Satan, and that is, and that's important because, what would you say? Relationship. Okay. Tim? Satan uses offense to tear apart the church. Satan uses offense to tear apart the church. Uh, that we can be offended, not even realize it. And then that offense can cause us to act in a way that we're not even realizing we're acting. Yeah, that was a very important truth. What, Lauren? Uh, Satan uses offense to tear apart us and make us farther away from God because yeah. of sin. Yeah, Satan used to tear us apart. Not just the church, but tear us apart and pull us further away from God. Know your enemy. You need to know your enemy. Know his strategy. This is one of them. What else? <laughs> We need to not be so full of ourselves. Yeah. And easily offended. Yeah. Yeah, that reminds me, we were talking before everybody got here, there's a book that the school's reading right now, uh, Unoffendable, and I think that's kind of a, a focus of that. We're all so easily offended, and what we don't realize, that's impacting us negatively. I think that's the idea of the book. Any other ways to summarize this? Or going to move on to the second thing. You know, man, the one thing that stood out to me, I hadn't thought before or I was reminded of that I really needed. What are some new truths or thoughts that stood out to you in this that were significant? That it's a warning from Jesus over so It's a warning? And that the disciples, <coughs> that they were, they said, increase our faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a big deal to Jesus. Yeah. And I think what's really fascinating about that, um, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and mention that now. Jesus says you need to forgive. And you need to forgive if they sin against you seven times. And we'll talk about that because that's like, what is it? Uh, well, yeah, I'm going into it now. And, and they said, oh, increase our faith. And Jesus, meaning what? This is what? This is really hard. Jesus says, no, it's not really hard. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, 
you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. It's not hard. It's impossible without the miraculous working of God. This is demanding something more than we're capable of. This is a miracle of God engaged through our faith. But Jesus, we're talking about moving mountains and trees here. That's tough. That when I'm offended, I'm, I'm actually experiencing a spiritual crisis. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. Seriousness of my offense. I like right now. I can remember things that offended me. Oh well, I've forgotten that. Not, <clears throat> not necessarily. So it's not just you need to Carl alone. There's a spiritual battle warfare. <clears throat> yeah, big point there, Fred. Okay. What stood out to me is something I hadn't thought about is how the offense can turn into betrayal. Yeah. Yeah. Just a thought that hadn't occurred before. But the process he talked about makes sense. Yeah. It's not just one simple thing. It happens and just sits there, but it grows and festers and leads to other things even more destructive. I'll piggyback off of that because I wrote down um, they can be multiple small things over time because it writes a story on our heart. Yeah. And then we self-protect. And that's when it grows cold. And they're so small yes. that they almost are subtle and we don't really think that it's not like somebody just came up to the bat and hit you right. over the head. But they're just little things and they're building up. Yep. And kind of like um, Angelo, right? You were saying, and you're building up an offense. You don't even realize it. And it's playing out negatively in your life. Okay? Well, when he was talking about hate and that the hate there was not the opposite of love. So it was unemotional and then he said what it really means is that it becomes a vacuum. Well, what lives in a vacuum? Nothing. So that means you're dead inside. Or you become dead inside. Yeah. And that's a bad place to be. Yeah. Rich? Uh, I think about offense and the uh, emotion it raises. It's really a mirror on our own hearts. You know, why am I offended? You know, what is it in my heart that's... Why am I not at peace? Uh, I think encounters at work or wherever that, that causes a bad emotion that's an opportunity for self-reflection. Uh, yeah. It's always about you, not the other person. Always. In the uh, introduction, it talked about uh, one of the instances was uh, the book was given to the elders. And then you say to yourself, you know, oh yeah, all right. But just think about church leadership, every email, every call, every text, is that the next, is that the next thing that's going to, you know, you have to work on your pride and, you know, it's, it's really difficult not to be offended at times. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, you have to rely on God's refining, refining you each and every day. Is offense wrong? Well... Because, I mean, he says it's, it's going to happen. It's impossible for it not to happen. But what, what's your response to it? So if I say I'm offended, am I wrong by that? Yeah, but it's your response to the offense. Do you, okay. let it, do, you, do you let the grace of God, do you let your pride, or what is your action? And I, I've already read two chapters, so I... <laughs> <laughs> listen to this, listen to this, and then I'm, go ahead, Mary. Well, so Bill, Bill just used the word pride twice. And that really rings a bell for me because I picked up a phrase years ago um, about the term ego. And if you use that as an acronym, edging God out. When our ego shows its ugly head yeah. and begins to get really loud, 
you're not listening to the word of God. Yeah. That's your pride. That's your ego, and it's. That's what Richard was getting at. What's, what's, yes, what's really driving it? Exactly. I think there are some things that should offend us. Like, you know, if children are being abused, or people are being, you know, abused in some way, or those kinds of things. I think there are some things that we should have a righteous indignation mm -hmm. about. But then, what do I do with that? Yeah. Do I, do I try to enact some kind of justice or life-giving, you know, measure, or do I get bitter, do I get closed off, uh -huh. you know, like he was saying, you know, what do I do with that? Yeah, I, I, um, I've, I've listened to all the six videos, and I think it's in this one, when you encounter a fence, you will come out of it changed, period. You'll either become stronger or you'll become better. Change is going to happen. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Speak of unmet expectations. You talked about that. Yeah. Setting expectations uh, beyond the fact of serving and loving leads to being offended because you expect somebody to do something that you do or not to do something that they end up doing, and that causes offense and bitterness and hatred. And a big part of those expectations he's talking about. It's when you have higher expectations of people that you're closer to. You just, well, this is the church. It's not supposed to happen here. Uh, this is my family. It's not, it's not supposed to happen here. And that's where David was writing in Psalm 55, which is probably the Absalom and the Ithophel story. Like, those that were closest to him, and that's when it just is tough. So I, I think we've kind of already done this, but let's just make sure so we're not leaving. Oh, what are we talking about? Let's define the terms. What is offense? What do we mean by that? And then, and then we can move into, and how is that debate of saying, what is offense? Offense means what? Trap. Well, it's something that somebody does that you have an expectation and they let you down. Okay. When somebody lets you down. When somebody hurts your feelings. <clears throat> Maybe just a violation of someone's ethical code. Uh-huh. And someone sins against you. I think also, too, how you're offended depends on your story and your wounding. Because someone can say the same thing to me they might say to you, but it affects us differently. Uh-huh. So I think it's knowing, it's knowing your story and knowing where your trigger points are. Right. Mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting, the, the word the word offense was scandal on from which we get the English word scandal. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, he, he talked about it being, and I actually keep this in my office, I did an illustration with our school. He talks about offense is, is the very word of, of, sorry, of a rat trap, and it's this piece of the trap is the word it's used, and so you pull this back, and you put, and, and, and um, the offense is the part that sits on this trigger, and eventually it just closes. Um, I was going to set it, but every time I do it, it goes off. I'm going to have a heart attack in my office. <laughs> it's the trigger of a trap on which the bait is placed in the context, figuratively speaking. It denotes an enticement to a conduct 
which ruins, so, so something, actually we're drawn to, something we're pulled to, because I mean, you don't put something on here that's not attractive. There's something about when you've been offended that draws you in. Uh, that kind of struck me, and I don't know where this fits in, but the de- in the definition when he said, when the animal touches it or reaches for it, and, I mean, and that's the very definition of bait, when you're being baited, you're tempted to go for something. It, if you've ever had mice around, you know that you can set those things, and they can be everywhere, and they don't go off. So the animal has to get on the scandal on. He has to touch the bait. He has to go for it, be tempted by it, and reach for There's it. There's something about it that's enticing. Draw in, yeah. <laughs> I like the illustration he used that made me think is that when he wanted to start uh, trying to divide the sheep, he would look for the wounded one and start with that one. Yeah. So the going back to knowing your enemy because Satan knows exactly what the bait is mm-hmm. or what's going to wound that's going to make you more vulnerable right. to fall into the trap. Right, and that's kind of like what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. One thing said to you, it said to me, yep. but you're wounded. Yep. Or maybe I'm wounded, Richard. That's related to the story about if I came to your house and you cook steaks, hey, where'd you get the steaks? Oh, I got a king super. But if the guy comes home from work and asks his wife, well, hey, where'd you get the steak? What, don't you like it? Yeah. <laughs> there's the wound. There's a wound. There. Right, right, right. There's something. So how is that a, how, how, how is Satan involved in that? Totally. How does that work? So I get offended. I get offended by something you've done to me, and he jumps in. How does that? How, how does that happen? Because who said we need to know our enemy? We need to know his strategy. How's that? How's that working? Somebody has seen. Somebody starts speaking back here. Well, I'm okay. Going, so I just Satan stirs the pot. Like it's kind of come off of what Richard said. It's not about the steak, you know. It's there's something else behind it that's already the wound, and the uh, the, the, that person that is seeking the offense, they're they're looking for a reason to be offended because they're looking for a fight. So the wound is already there, and Satan is in there stirring the pot. Well, it was kind of a general concept people have been babbling about is. The offense is the bait that we've talked about. Satan puts that out there. It's how we respond to it. If, you know, the concept of turning the other cheek, if somebody comes up and hits me, you know, there's some bait sitting out there. And I want to, I want to go for it. I want to hit back. But I can choose not to. It's again what I said earlier. It's when we get so full of ourselves, we, we have a right to respond to this you know i i can't let that go i have to respond well we don't we don't have to respond at least not in a negative way we can respond with love mm-hmm. and discernment and, and make that's, our choice that's where the series is going to lead us okay how, how do you how do you respond Thanks. first peter says be sober be vigilant because your adversary yeah. the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour He's looking for you. Seeking it. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is what was really interesting. Uh, in Second in, in Timothy, he quoted a verse that he starts out, and he's saying to the church, 
Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. That's in the church. Because they produce quarrels. The Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. In the church, there's quarrels, there's arguments, there's conflicts, and behind that are people who are taken captive in the trap of Satan, and they're actually not just carrying out their own selfish pride and their own disagreements. Satan is involved in that. He's involved in that in our families as well. This is this is spiritual warfare. Amen. I was just gonna say Satan will also make sure that we remember those Yeah. Oh yeah. Good point. When we look at somebody we might think, Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't forget. You keep remembering. And so Second Timothy's in the church, so so now this this is where it gets a little bit complicated. Or maybe it doesn't, it gets a little bit sensitive. <laughs> Why is this so important for East Side? Or is it? Why is it somebody said to me the other day, oh, East Side needs that? <laughs> well, this is a place where vulnerable people should come and not expect this kind of, uh, you know, if they're just not the right person and people are not being true and real. And it's important that we're the real deal mm-hmm. here because the end is coming. We need to refine ourselves and and hold each other accountable and leadership should take that uh, take that on. Well I've been here five years and I know this church has a history and I'm still hearing about that history. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not always pretty. And it's the one thing that burns me out working here. I just wish I could get an eraser and just erase everything out and say, let's just promote Jesus. It's interesting, an eraser, the word forgiveness just means to cast it away. It's not going away. Yeah. We need to be away. So how is, how, how, is this, how is this important for East Side? Bill spoke about it in a general term, then Karen got a little bit more specific. And I have no idea what Karen's talking about. And I, I don't mean that in any negative way. I just have no clue. Nobody tells me anything. <laughs> <laughs> but Eastside is people. Yeah, there, there you go. I mean, where there's it's people. Not, it's not a name. It's a collection of people. And people need to be dealt with, not an institution mind. Yeah. So really, when we're talking about Eastside, we're talking about me. We're talking about Rachel. Well, and even if we could erase all the past offenses, you know, tomorrow I'm going to irritate somebody. You know, I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm going to step on somebody's toes. I mean, we're going to continue to irritate each other in the future because we're humans. And and when you live closely with somebody, you're going to step on their toes by accident. So why is this so important for Eastside? Because Eastside has people. <laughs> yeah. It's just a reality among people. People hurt people. And so it's unavoidable. And we have to recognize that there are going to be a certain number of people who will wallow in that. Some people just stay They're in it. They're not going to move out of that, that arena. Because that's where they live. They live in that offense arena. Yeah. 
And they're offended if you tell them. You know. Yes. Don't take it over. I've always, um, I grew up to, uh, being taught to try and give the benefit of the doubt. Because that's what I want. You know, I want someone to think, oh, well, Amy did that, but I don't think she really meant it like that. You know, and so my mama taught me to try and be that way. And I think that's a huge part of trying not to, to try and keep from being the bait <laughs> and, and being being offended. One of the keys is, you, in the back, you probably couldn't hear her, her softer voice, is um, giving people the benefit of the doubt, immediately going to a negative conclusion. Um, yeah, so this, this church, historically speaking, it could experience some hurts. Somebody gave me a book that's entitled War in the Pews. It was written by a member here who's no longer here about his experience here. He doesn't name this church, but that is definitely the fact. There was a church that had, this is a church that had seven or eight hundred members. We're about half that now. Many have left because they were offended and hurt and felt betrayed. I think it's important too because it's not just about the body at Eastside. This permeates a lot of families. Yeah. There's a lot of broken, hurting families because of this kind of offense. So it's in the church, it's in our families. Carl? I, I think the danger is, yeah, to me, to, to so defend, you know, I've, I've been in churches and all that, to kind of lower expectation and to kind of lose hope. Well, Eastside can't really be you know, what God wants to be because, you know, in other words, we let, we lower our expectations, not in the sense that we realize that we're all people, but that we lower what we think God can do in this church and here, and we can be a part. So I can kind of withdraw and hold back and do what I think is good, but not. There's been so much hurt in the past and just that I see the future through the filter of that hurt and I become cynical about it. I think it's important that um, if you've been offended, you need to let the person know that offended you. And so you can discuss it and resolve the issues. If you don't, you just um, are trapped. You, yeah, you're trapped in a, a time warp yeah. or whatever. That's the hard part, yes sir. I was going to say that I think Jesus here is saying that we need to be we need to be expect to be offended. That is yeah, that is that is the key. It's going to happen, and whether the person means it or doesn't mean it, it doesn't matter, right? The fact is is that whether they say anything to you or they don't say anything to you, whether you can talk to them or you can't talk to them, our role and responsibility is to have that readiness to forgive, that readiness to not let it impact and affect our life. We all have hurts, habits, and hang-ups that we, that we experience over life that are triggers for us, and people may trigger us even though they may not know it. Where'd you get that term, hurts, habits, and hang-ups? We heard that. Because we're talking about that on Sunday mornings right now. Yes. Wow. Yes. Go ahead, I'm sorry. No That's why I smile Are you stealing you. somebody's uh, <laughs> material from Texas? But, but it's, it's true in the fact that if we, if we don't, don't prepare ourselves, you know, for the hurts and for the offense, then when it happens, we're not going to respond in the right way. I think that's exactly right. I, and I'm going to I'm going to piggyback off of that with this passage, and then we're going to we're going to close down to get.
time to completely finish all this, but the general introduction to this, um, man, Luke 17 will preach. Um, Jesus says, look, people are going to be offended. You're going to be offended. It is going to happen. So the question is, what do you do about it? And he says, let me tell you what to do about it. First of all, he says, so watch yourselves. And Angela, I think that's what you're talking about. Man, we've got to be aware of it. Watch yourselves because in that moment, in that moment, you could be walking into a trap. So he says, first of all, watch yourselves. And then listen to this. This is what Erica was talking about. If your brother sins, that's what the offense is talking about. If somebody sins against you, rebuke him. Yeah, go talk to him. That's a hard, that's a hard thing to do. Do you know this is quite interesting? That word rebuke I dug into to make sure I understood what it meant. The word rebuke means, sir, to correct, to confront, to admonish, but it also carries with it to honor someone. That's interesting. That's something to talk about we don't have time for. And he says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. Now listen to this. And if he repents, forgive him. So it's conditional. Don't have time to talk about that right now. We're going to come back to that. But if he repents, forgive him. And so if he doesn't repent, I'm going to hold it. What does Jesus mean by that? If he's, Listen to this. This is even more difficult. Because Well, I'll just say this. I believe forgiveness offered is not a guarantee of forgiveness received. And I believe forgiveness received is received upon repentance. But I've got to, I've got to offer. I believe that's what Jesus did when he was being nailed to the cross. He was saying, Father, forgive them. They weren't saying, well, we're sorry about this. No, they weren't. But he was offering. Um, listen to this. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you, don't be a fool and keep letting him come back. <laughs> what, what is that? <laughs> fool me once. Shame on you. Shame on you. <laughs> fool me. Shame on me. Shame on me. Jesus says seven times. You, want, you get to the point where i got to protect myself here. I can't keep, I just can't keep. What does it even mean to forgive? Why is that so difficult? We're going to, we'll have to talk about that. We don't have time for it. We've got to. Let's figure out what is it that's stopping us from forgiving that makes it so complicated. And seven times? He doesn't mean seven times. He means what by that? How can they be sincere? They keep, I keep hitting bread and I say, I'm sorry. I keep hitting bread eventually. I'm sorry, Eddie. What do you do about that? And so then, so, so then the disciples are going, are you serious? You're going to have to increase our faith. This is like, wow. But Jesus says, yeah, it's like uh, uprooting a tree. You say to it, go be in it. It's a, it's a work of God. It's a work of God. I believe in this church there's some hurt that some of us are holding on to. And we're, we're seeing the church. We're hearing the church through the filter of that. And it's coming out in negative ways. I believe that's happening in our families. Um, just to be embarrassingly honest with you, as I've been going through this series, preparing for it, I came to a realization of a hurt that I'm still holding on to. That I haven't dealt with appropriately. So I'm struggling with that. Um, it's the work of God. Let's pray that God will work in us. We'll do this next week, and wherever we meet, I'll, I'll be sure to let you know. <laughs> I will be offended. <laughs> <laughs>
Father, thank you so much for the power of your word, for the truth of your word. God, these, these words in Luke 17, there's so much more to talk about it, but I just read them and just put them into our hearts, and Holy Spirit, take them and let them marinate in our thoughts and our souls and speak to us through them. And Father, we just offer ourselves to you through this series that you can work in our lives to do what is miraculous in our hearts and our lives. Teach us to be a people who treat others like you treat us in incredible compassion and love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. God, show us what's hard to see. Show us hurt and offense that we're still holding in whatever ways. And reveal unto us how we can be free of that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, see you next week. Thank you for coming. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 1040 a.m. as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.